how do you price an ad on your channel? That's probably the most common question we get from other creators. And it was the biggest question we had when we first started on YouTube. So we're hosting a live workshop on how to price yourself. This is everything that we've learned in the past 13 years of being on YouTube and our simple three-step process that'll help you develop concrete pricing. So if you wanna join us for this live session, just go to colinandsamir.com slash live. Enter your email and you'll get all the information about our live event on May 9th. All right, hope you enjoy this episode of The Colin and Samir Show. Welcome back to our first episode since our summer break. Now, it may not have seemed like a summer break to you because we were releasing episodes, but for us, we were on break. So we took a two-week company break. I was gone for three weeks for my honeymoon, which three weeks in adult time is like three months in kid time. Like when you're a teenager and you took a three-month summer break in between school, that's what this felt like to me. Like three weeks feels like I've been gone for a lifetime. And now it's a new year. I feel like we were sophomores, we're juniors now. <laughs> it does actually feel like that. And it's time to think about college. And I am so excited to get into creator support. I've been thinking about this basically for the past three weeks. So on your honeymoon, you've been thinking about creator support. I've been thinking about all of you. Okay. All of you in the Reddit and all of you who have submitted questions to us, just thinking we got to support some of these questions. All right. Well, if you're new here, I'm Colin. And I'm Samir. We're creators who've been working together for the past 10 years, primarily on YouTube and on the Colin and Samir show on this series that we're doing called Creator Support. We answer your questions about having a creative career. All right. No rust from us, Colin. No rust on the mics. Here we go. Let's get into it. All righty. All right. So where did you go on your break? I first went to Sayulita, Mexico, okay. which is north of Puerto Vallarta. I've been. I know. Yep. And then after that, I spent about five days there. I went to the East Coast and saw my family. What'd you do on the East Coast? You know, ate hot dogs. Did you eat hot dogs? Wait. For real? Like, did you eat? No, a, yeah, I had a, a corn dog at a, at a carnival. Straight up corn yeah, dog. Yeah, I went to a town, like county carnival type mm -hmm. thing, and mm -hmm. I had a corn dog, Samir. Amazing. I mean, listen, when I was a kid, I had corn dogs. Corn dogs are great. Yeah, well, I'm an I've adult been, and I'm still having corn dogs, great. so deal with it. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, I was in Paris, then the south of France, then Copenhagen, and then Oslo. A at a coffee shop in Copenhagen, the barista said to me, um, man, you look so familiar. And then finally I led him down the path. I was like, well, do you watch YouTube? Uh, <laughs> and he was like, yes, I do. Oh, Colin and Samir. And I was like, yeah, that's me. And then he goes, we're at war with Ludwig. And I was like, what? Oh, yeah, we are. We're at war with the yard. That is true. So yeah. The Yard is Ludwig's podcast. Mm -hmm. And if you haven't heard, we are at war with them. I will play you a quick clip from their episode that mm -hmm. launched this war. I'll Which seems it. pretty organized to me. F*** Colin and Samir, okay? They're, they're too uppity. We gotta be like the armpit to what they are. Agreed. They're yeah. like the button down, like, Mr. Beast, tell us like what, like why you're so famous. <laughs> they're more like, so, uh, money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like you guys would be like, so, dicks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. We're at war with the yard. In other news, uh, the trip was fantastic. In the beginning, I honestly had a lot more stress about being gone. And then as I got into the first week, it kind of like melted away. I think what was so amazing and so interesting to me about the trip was like my fears of losing out on opportunities were validated. Those were true. There was opportunities we lost out on because we were gone. But it also made me recognize 
how much opportunity is coming our way right now in a three week span. Like just because these past five, past three weeks, we got opportunities. What you recognize is like the next three weeks we'll have new opportunities. It's just, we're living in a world right now where there are more opportunities than we've had in our career. And that is still a new feeling for me to let those pass and say no to those. I think you and I, though, are very accustomed to waiting for opportunities to come inbound. Yeah. So much of our career has come from, yes, creating things, but mm-hmm. then seeing what comes in. Yeah. And I, for me, over the break, I really felt like, wow, we are in this driver's seat position where we actually have the opportunity to decide where we want to go. And it doesn't necessarily hinge on waiting for the next That's email true. to come through. That's true. Yeah, it's it's a unique position though. We've only been in it probably once before in our career, which is when we built Lacrosse Network to the point where it was truly the leader in the space. But it's it's been years of not being in the driver's seat. Uh, and now now we are, which is really cool. And it's it's new. It still is a new feeling for me at least. So yeah, it was interesting. It was an interesting experience. By week three, I think what was interesting is like now that I've come back and I'm here and we're working, I'm like, oh, three weeks. I don't know if, I would take a three week break again. I think it's really long, but like, I think we've learned that it's completely comfortable to take a week or 10 days break and everything is fine. I mean, two weeks I think is totally reasonable. It's completely reasonable for us. And it felt very long. Yeah. Yeah. It felt super long, but I think that's like, you know, it's very important to take breaks. I just saw, you know, uh, Pokimane actually posted today on Twitter that she's taking a break, just needs kind of like a mental health reset uh, and I think it's becoming, I'm happy to see that it's becoming more common practice for creators to just be like, Hey, I'm going to take some time off and then I'll come back. Like, I think really for the first time we are recognizing as a community that this career is longer than maybe we expect it. You know? Yeah. And I would imagine for a lot of the people listening and people who watch us, they barely noticed, you yeah. know, it's nice that some yeah. people tweet and leave comments in the Reddit that they're waiting for us to come back. Yeah. But there's so much happening in all of your lives. There's so much content coming out that, you know, it truly, for us, it felt like forever. I think what was cool was we were able to keep the newsletter super consistent. And we released three episodes on our podcast. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, it's wild. It's cool. Like the newsletter team, I was really excited about like getting newsletters in my inbox without even you know, touching them. I thought that was really cool. Um, and then, yeah, having the podcast pre-produced and having those come out, like it's really cool. It's, it, it, it's, it's just really feeling a lot more like we're operating a company that allows for us to take a break. So that's a new feeling and it was really exciting. So we're back now. We have some really exciting things lined up. We're heading to Retin Link's office next week. We have an interview with Jarvis Johnson next week. We're interviewing Reed, Mr. Beast manager, And we're releasing our Tommy Innit interview, which is already out at this point. So a lot of exciting things in the next seven days. It's pretty cool to like come back and hit the ground running. Should we get to our first question? Yeah, let's get to our first question. Well, this is a post from Reddit and it said, Colin and Samir retiring. In a new creator support podcast, Samir said they might think about uploading less on YouTube. I don't know how much they've thought about it, but man, I'm going to miss the show if they actually do this. They can do whatever they want and I'll support it. But this show that they have right now, audio and video is something special, man. Much love to both. Well, first of all, you slash LMAO, this is cool. Um, thank you for that post. Uh, we are not retiring, but we are you know, starting to evolve and, and shift what we're doing with our content. I think what I would be really excited about, and we just talked about this in a meeting, I'd love to spend days with creators and explore what their lifestyle looks like. I do want to get back to documentary and like 
observing observational documentaries. Like yeah. those are really cool to me. I really want to hold a camera again. Yeah, I agree. I think, I mean, we got to do it with Carl, which was super fun. Uh, and that kind of felt like an observational documentary to me. Mm -hmm. So I think increasing our output on this audio feed and then evolving on YouTube is just like a completely natural thing and it'll be different, but it's going to be really exciting to, to see. And we're going to start experimenting. So yeah, not retiring, but changing. We are changing. All right. Next question. This comes from Reddit as well, which by the way, can we quickly talk about the Reddit? The Reddit has, has exploded since our KSI episode. And it's amazing that while we were gone, the Reddit was popping. It was active. And that's what we talked about in the KSI video. The fact that as a creator, you can take a break, but your community can still talk with each other and create content. It's great. We got 1.1 thousand members. We have moderators now that are active. Shout out to No Robot Yet. He's our moderator. He's been one of the most uh, active members of the Reddit community, but the Reddit is popping. <laughs> R slash Colin and Samir, join. So since we released the KSI video, also KSI watched that video, uh, which was really cool. And we got an email from him and his team at the Sidemen this was one of those opportunities that we weren't able to do because we were we were out on break, but they invited us to come film with them uh, here in LA, uh, one of their Sidemen episodes, one of their um, their like Tinder episodes with Logan Paul, actually, which would have been really interesting to see. Our plan is still to go out to the UK and film with them. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. I'm, I'm super pumped about a UK trip. Love to profile Max Fosh. Would love to do something again with Tommy in it, but something more lifestyle, do something with the Sidemen. We have plans for that at the end of this year. Samir, I don't think we've answered a question yet. All right, let me read this one. I really like this question. This question comes from Doc. It says, hey guys, Logan Paul is hiring an editor to replace Hayden Hillier-Smith. I'd say that's a pretty big deal. Is the person he hires going to be A, a well-known editor leaving a massive channel, or B, an up-and-comer with a lot of potential? Follow-up question. Would it be better for that person that Logan hires to A, try and replicate Hayden's editing style for a seamless transition, or B, pave their own path? Thanks. It's a good question. It brings into question like, you know, our hiring strategies and, and what we would look at when it comes to hiring. I think Hayden is singular. Hayden's really unique. Also because Hayden has been with Logan for seven for years. Seven years. Yeah. And has an unbelievable passion for editing. If you don't know about Hayden, you can check out his channel on YouTube, Hayden Hillier Smith. He does breakdowns of some of the videos he makes for Logan and, and on other creators as well. And I've never seen anyone be such a student of editing and specifically YouTube editing and storytelling uh, like Hayden. So yeah, he's totally singular. In terms of Here, hiring, here's what, do what you, I'm doing. What if do you I, think? If I'm hiring in this position, I'm actually looking for someone who's technically good and, and like really you know good at the craft of editing and storytelling, but I'm really looking for someone who I want to spend the next five years with. Because Hayden was with Logan for seven years, and really developed that style together. We also have a friend, Paul Rabel, who's been working with the same film or editor for the, for the past six years, and they've really developed a style. They've just now made a documentary together. Like Someone like Logan Paul wants to build a very deep relationship. That's a very intimate relationship you have with your editor. They're seeing all the raw cuts of you. They're crafting your public-facing brand. Like Their hours are many th times undetermined. Their hours are just kind of like uncapped. They just have to be working constantly. You also want them as a creative partner. I know Hayden's been a great creative partner in that relationship. He pushes back on Logan many times. Yeah, yeah. so it's, it's a personality fit, I would say. I would say in the beginning, you want someone to kind of not necessarily replicate Hayden's style, but be able to get up to that caliber. 
but it's going to take time. Whoever Logan finds next, like Logan's been working with the same editor for seven years. Like for the extent of time that we've known Logan Paul on YouTube, it's been Hayden. That's a big deal to me. Yeah. And maybe what comes of it is that it's not a single editor, right? It's a group of editors. I know, you know, speaking with Eric and Mac on their team, they'll, they're always hiring editors, it seems like, and they'll yeah. do a call out and get, you know, 10 people who come back and put yeah. them all through sort of their own education to see what works. Tommy in it, mm -hmm. in our interview, talked about how he put out a Google form, got hundreds of submissions, had his editor whittle it down. And then same thing. They put all those editors through a test editing the same type of video. And then they looked at those videos and said, okay, this person's good at comedic timing. This person's good at storytelling. This person's good at, you know, music and scoring. And then now they use a whole bunch of editors, right? Yeah. On a single video, they sort of pass it around. Maybe that's the future for Logan. It could be the future that he has more of a production team. Yeah. You know, I think no matter what hiring is going to continue to be one of the biggest challenges in the creator space. And it's not necessarily because there's not enough editors. It's just like, everyone has their own unique way of making video and style. It's not a standardized thing. So you have to like come in and build a creative culture with a person. And that takes like six months to do maybe nine months, but it would help if there were more editors who understood YouTube. Yeah, I agree. If a lot of editors took Hayden's course, right. Yeah. And learn how trained to do by it. Hayden. Yeah, trained yeah. by Hayden. Yeah. Cause YouTube editing is so specific. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see who's next on that. And it's so funny that it's so like, it's, it's kind of like building into a culture of being more public. Like, KSI has Mo, Logan had Hayden, like yeah. Eric has Mac. It's so interesting that it's a public facing job mm -hmm. to be an editor. All right. Um, I wanted to talk about this one because it, it kind of goes back to our break. This one comes from Reddit. It's from Master of None. He says, are there any books that have helped you on your creator journey? Personally, I found Show Your Work and Steal Like an Artist by Austin Kleon uh, pretty useful. Both books are really short and easy to read, not a big time commitment the most value from them. Okay. So at a high level, I would say steal like an artist is a fantastic book to read. You can read it in one sitting. It's very simple to read, but it's really great to understand just storytelling and creativity as a whole and where ideas come from. But on this break, I read, uh, half of creativity Inc. I think you finished creativity. Inc. I finished it. Yep. And this book was gifted to us by Shopify. I have never read a book that relates more to what we do than Creativity Inc. Ever. Like, I, I can't believe it. Every page I read, I'm like, what's going on? Like, Same, this I underlined everything. And it's, it's unbelievable that, you know, it's about the rise of Pixar Animation Studios, which was, you know, eventually bought by Disney and has thousands of employees. And it's so interesting that the way they run their company and their beliefs is so similar, or at least that we have a lot to learn from it. And yeah. we have a much smaller company doing a slightly different thing. But I couldn't believe how much we could relate to it. It gave me this um, amazing sense of relief that what we're doing is not that different from what people are doing at the highest level of storytelling. There, there's parts where they talk about, you know, they've been working on, um, they've been working on Toy Story 2 for what, five years. And they just watch like their lead storyteller was working on a bug's life and he watches it and he's like, no, the story's wrong. And they scrap the director and just restart on the story. Yeah. And there's so many times where you make a YouTube video and you watch it back and you're like, it's not working. And they reframe that concept of failure as a necessary part of creativity. And it's not necessary. It's not failure. It's just a necessary part. You had to make it that way to watch it. 
and they say every experiment yields new information. Like that framing of creativity, the whole thing is fantastic. You just have to read it. Yeah, there's a line here that I'm looking at that I love that says, the most creative people are willing to work in the shadow of uncertainty. Mm. And I totally agree with that, that as someone who works at a creative company or has a creative career, you have to be willing to make things even when times are really uncertain, or you may not even use the thing that you're making. You may put so much effort into something and you have to understand that at the end, it may not be right because you've never made it before. No one has. You're Mm -hmm. doing a bunch of things for the first time. On that note too, in the beginning, it talks about, um, you know, Ed Catamull, who's the guy who wrote the book and one of the founders of Pixar. He talks about when he graduated college, he wanted to become a Disney animator. And this is a quote from the book. He said, what's more, I had no idea how one actually became an animator. There was no school for it that I knew of. As I finished high school, I realized I had a far better understanding of how one became a scientist. The route seemed easier to discern. That's super, I think that's like very related to the world of being a creator right now. Like I actually personally, it's harder for me to explain to someone at a dinner table the path to becoming a professional creator Whereas almost everyone at the dinner table could be like the path to becoming a doctor is you go to med school, Mm -hmm. you do residency, like everyone understands that path. The path to what we're doing is really almost subjective right now of like, you just have to go do it and and start to figure it out. And obviously what we're doing with this show is trying to, you know, build framework around that. Yeah. But but what's inspiring about, you know, this book and about becoming an animator is that there are now schools to become animators. Yeah. You know, Walt Disney himself invested in Cal Arts. And they talk about it a little bit in the book that there was no place to find animators. So they had to build a school. Mm -hmm. And I think the career of being a creator is somewhat following that trajectory where it's, there's really nowhere to go, but there are starting to be places to learn what it actually means. Yeah. And it made me really want to go deeper into education. Um, I'm very passionate about that. And during, during the break, I thought a lot about courses, education, and you know, just bringing forward some of the things that we've learned over the last 10 years. I've been very passionate about it. So excited about that. All right. There is a video question from Reddit that neither of us have watched. Should we watch? Let's do it. Hey, Colin. Hey, Samir. Do you guys ever have to deal with a lack of motivation? I don't mean overarching, like, path your channel is taking motivation. I mean, sometimes, not every day, not even that often, but maybe every, like, fourth day, I'll wake up and just not want to do anything. So I don't. But in your case, you've got a staff, you've got each other, and you've just got to do it anyway, I assume. I'll sit down on my computer in the morning and be like, right after I watch this Kurzagok video, then I'll work on my next script. Okay, right after this next video. And it's weird, because it's stuff I want to do. I really like making videos. It's pretty much the same feeling when, like, back in college, when I knew I had a paper due, I would do pretty much anything else, like organize my office, clean my kitchen. But once I actually start the process of writing and filming and experimenting here in the warehouse, I love it. It's just a lot of times at the start of the day, I don't want to. My trick is a little bike ride to the corner gas station to buy a Red Bull. I have so many justified Red Bull runs in a week, it's ridiculous. How do you guys handle a one-off lack of motivation morning? Because I'm sure your motivation clocks aren't synced and it wouldn't happen to both of you on any same given day. But you have to work together. Oh, and also on the Twitter thing with Ludwig and the Yard, I'll join your army as a squire. I've chosen my side. <laughs> We're at war with Ludwig. I'd like it's, you know, we really are. Man. I had no idea how real this was. No, it's, it's global. It's global. It's a global war. Well, um, it's a great question. There's this concept of putting your gym shoes on where it's like, it's not that fun to go to the gym all the time. 
there's a lot of times where you lack motivation, but once you put your shoes on, it's almost like there's no world where you're not going. And then once you go and once you start working out, you're in, you get into it. And so I think the question is like, it sounds like you found your gym shoes, quote unquote, which is you ride your bike to go get a Red Bull uh, to start the day. But there's no, there's no question in my mind that you're not personally, I'm not motivated every single day to make, I wake up inspired some days. I don't wake up inspired other days, but yeah, you're right. Like we don't, we've built our company in a way where it's like, you don't have a choice. Yeah. And even before we had employees, you know, we had each other and there's a sense of accountability there. Yeah, that's true. That, you know, it's, it's a much different story to put on your gym shoes and go meet your friend or your trainer at the gym who you told you were going to be there than it is to go by yourself. That's a, and that's no a one really will know if you don't show up. It's a really good point. You know, you and I, for four or five years after we left the lacrosse network, sometimes we didn't know what we were doing. Sometimes we were probably very unmotivated, but we showed up every day and we made something. We did something. We put ourselves in a position for something to happen. That's a good point. I think um, accountability is a huge part there. Like you're right. Meeting your buddy at the gym. If you like said you're going to be there and then you're not there, it's yeah the worst. That's a terrible thing to do. So I think it's, it's definitely about finding ways that you can be held accountable. Maybe it's another creator that becomes like a buddy of yours that you guys are working together and like you guys are on Slack together or just chatting of like, Hey, what are you working on? Or what are you working on? Doing like a check-in in the morning so that you feel motivated to go. But I don't think, I don't think you should feel bad if you don't feel creatively energized every day. I think that's, that's like a big challenge to, to get there. Uh, you know, I, th- I think figuring out what, what does get you there, if it's like exercise or getting a coffee or, uh, you know, writing in your journal or reading, like whatever those things are, and those can move on a weekly basis, but whatever that is, I think you need to just find what is energizing you and also be okay with that. Every day is going to feel a little different. That's something that I think I agree that it's very different that you and I have each other and we have a whole staff. Like now we walk in the room and it's like, someone is energized, which is positive. You know, (laughs) we can lean on someone being energized. And for us too, because we, in a way, force ourselves to not force ourselves, but we do like we, you know, we come in here in the morning and we necessarily, we don't leave until six. Like we hold pretty regular hours and I may walk in unmotivated and I may spend two hours sort of internally toiling with that. Right. But then I have some sort of conversation with someone here and it takes me out of that and I'm fine. Agreed. You know, Okay, let's get to this one on Reddit. Asking for a friend. Just wondering how many subscribers did you gain from the Squid Game Effect video? How much money? Okay, so this this is a short uh, that we made. How long is it? It's 25 seconds long, and it is our most viewed video of all time. It has, what, 22 million views? 21,468,952 views okay. since it was published. okay. And I actually don't know how many subscribers you want to take a guess. 25,000. That's too high. That's too high. Yeah. But not by much. 21,300 subscribers, which is crazy. That is crazy. So 21 and a half million views, almost 21 and a half million subscribers or sorry, 21 and a half million views, almost 21 and a half thousand subscribers for every million views. Got about a thousand subs. Amazing. Unclear. Uh, how much 
money was actually generated, but what does it say in the back end? Estimated, it says $37.24. Yeah, it's so $37. Uh, it's, it's really unclear on shorts because you get a shorts bonus. That's how they compensate you for shorts right now. I will say it feels like shorts, like shorts have been on and off for us when it comes to viewership. We've, we've consistently done them. Uh, cause I still, I like very much believe in the product. I also consume the product a lot. And I mean, in this case, it feels like we got compensated. Yeah. We yeah. would pay money for 21,000 new people who are interested in creators in what we're talking about, in what yeah. we're talking about. I mean, what's even crazier is our Mr. One of our Mr. Beast shorts has what? Three, 4 million views and it's gained us over 50,000 subscribers. Yeah. And that has a direct call to action to subscribe. Had we just told people to subscribe in the Squid Game video, who knows? <laughs> who knows? Who knows? It's crazy that subscribe CTAs really do work. I think we actually need to start asking people to subscribe more. more. Yeah. Especially if we want to hit a million. Where are we right now? 896? We are at 896, 872. Okay. So we're... So maybe by next week we'll be at 900,000. And then it's the final stretch. That's the final stretch. It's a final stretch to a Which million. is crazy to say that 100,000 subscribers is the final, is the final stretch, stretch because yeah. it was so hard to it get took 100, years and years and years and years <laughs> and years yeah. to hit 100,000 subscribers on this channel. But what's crazy is now that you know that like the, the shorts have so much visibility that they can help build those subscribers, it feels more digestible. And we just know more about YouTube now than we did yeah. back then. Um, this question, do you spend more time consuming or creating content? Consuming 100,000%. Yeah, consuming. And there's 48 votes on this in our Reddit and uh, 42 people said consuming. And it's like, it's too easy to consume content right now. And it's too enjoyable. I mean, you came back from break and this morning told us that you didn't watch any YouTube videos. You watched one maybe. And then you guys named five and I said, oh, yep. No, I watched that. No, yeah. Yeah, I watched that. Oh, that one? Yeah, okay. I watched that one. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, okay, never mind. I actually was watching YouTube the (laughs) whole time. Uh, Didn't even realize it because even though I probably watched 10 YouTube videos, maybe, maybe a little bit more, that's less than I typically watch. Of course. In three weeks. Yeah. In three weeks. So 10 a day. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my God. It's crazy. The one thing I'll say is that when I felt my most creative, I was not consuming content before I created content. So I would wake up in the morning and I would write before I had any inputs. So it was like output before input. I tried that for a while and I felt my most creative. So I, I would say if you're struggling with this, maybe try that. Like when you wake up, don't mess with your phone until you grab a pen and paper and just write, write something. And set a time limit. Maybe you'll write yeah. for 10 minutes. Could be 10 minutes, 10 minutes, that's it, 10 minutes. But that's when I felt my most creative. Um, and I'd, I'd like to get back to that. That actually was direct advice from Kanye West. What what was that? Not to me. Sorry. Not to me, but like like, to artists in general. When did you speak with Kanye? He said, don't touch your phone for the first two hours of the morning and write something like just grab a pen and pen and pad and just write before you touch your phone, your email, anything. Don't mess with any of that until you put something on paper so that whatever happened in your dreams and in your sleep can just come out on paper and you can write that down before you touch anything else. I like that. Because like an Instagram post or a tweet or anything can just like send your mind in a completely different direction than whatever it was just on. Yeah. And depending on what you see, it can also make you feel like you could never do something as good as that. Yeah. Right. All right. Can I tell you a gripe or just like give you a general gripe? Yeah, of course. You don't even need to ask, Samir. Okay. All right. General gripe. Fine dining. What do you mean? Just fine dining in general. I don't know. Go on. Have you ever been to a fine dining restaurant? 
What, do I look like a guy who's never been to a fine dining restaurant? You do. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you've never been to one. No, no, no. I have. Oh, you have. Well, what's how fine is fine dining? How much did you pay? I've, yeah, I've paid it. I feel like I've went to, I've, I've been to fine dining. How much did you pay? I've looked at bills at the end and said, whoa, that's expensive. No, no. Then you don't know that there's not fine dining. Fine dining is like you sit and it's a prefixed menu. Okay. And like, you don't decide anything. Okay. And you spend close to a thousand dollars. Yeah. No, I've never done that. Yeah. That's so you've never been to fine dining. I didn't even know that exists. Yeah. It exists. It sucks. I'm just going to flat out say it. It's a gripe of mine. Fine dining is an insane proposition. You just sit down, you pay them all this money, and they give you these little, little bites of food. Was your problem that you couldn't customize anything? You felt constrained by the lack of customization? I always feel that, just generally in life. Because yeah. that's actually a gripe that I have with you. And uh, What? That you, I feel yeah. like, over-customize sometimes when you go to a restaurant. And it's coming out now. And it's difficult for everyone else at the table. We're kind of embarrassed by it. The waiter is, what do you mean you're embarrassed? The waiter is, is, has never experienced anything like this before. (laughs) And is like, why is this guy, you know, taking the baked ziti (laughs) and trying to turn it into a orzo with feta salad? That's not what it is. Listen, I'm the customer. It's my call. See, that's where I think you're wrong. (laughs) It's my call. I think you're wrong. Yeah. So fine dining in general, there was this place in Copenhagen we went to. From a former executive chef at Noma, which is widely renowned as the best restaurant in the world, started his own restaurant. And one of the dishes, this sustainability company, okay? So they're like really into like using everything. They served ground up fish bones on a cracker. Okay. That sounds like fine dining. And it was terrible. Yeah, it was terrible. And, and I was like, what's happening? And I looked around and other people were struggling to eat it too. And I was like, what are we all doing here? Is this like a, are we on a YouTube prank? Like, is this Gideon about to come out and be like, you just got pranked. You had to pay all this money and we gave you ground up fish bones. But that's like the same psychology as ca- caviar, right? Where caviar is not good. No, it's not good. It's not good. Also oysters are not good. Oysters. Not good. Not good. Also escargot. Not, not good. good. Yeah. But it's really expensive. These things are objectively not good. Because they want people who are crazy enough to say, oh, if you don't like it, you don't get it. You don't understand Mm, fine dining. Yeah. You must not have the palate for it. Because you're too, everyone's too embarrassed to walk out of the fine dining restaurant where they just spent nearly a thousand dollars and go, that kind of sucked. But me, I'm taking a stand. It wasn't good. I'm never doing again. I'm with you, man. On the flip side, what was great about Copenhagen and just Europe in general Tipping, not really a part of the culture there. Okay, we know that was a prior gripe of yours. (laughs) Especially in Copenhagen. They just make everything more expensive. And then you just pay that (laughs) price. But it's nice that they set the price. They just set the price. You know what you're in for. This is how much money we need to pay our our employees. I'm tipping like crazy these days on everything. I feel like everything is up for a tip these days. Mm -hmm. Everything Uh, is subject for a tip. After the pandemic, everything became subject to a tip. All right, this question comes from Sir Yacht. He says, Colin and Samir, would you guys ever consider doing a pod recording in front of a live audience? I went to Impulsive's first live show ever a few months ago in Columbus, and it was a really cool experience. I loved that it was a very intimate setting, and you could tell Logan, Mike, and George also had a great time. It would be a far commute from Cleveland for me, but just saying if you guys ever did it, I would come and support. I I mean, I would love to do that. We've spoken a lot in public, but we've never really organized the event ourselves. Yeah. And I would love to control every aspect of it. Absolutely love to do that. And I think this, you know, style of, uh, 
of episode where it's creator support, where people can raise their hand and ask a question into a mic. Creator support live, super cool. We really should do something in LA or New York. Yeah. Ooh, maybe we do it in New York at 368 in the middle of August. That'd be cool. But I, I envisioned it though at a small theater. Does anyone have a small theater? Does anyone in New York or LA have a small this theater? This is why we, we need to buy use? a theater. Does anyone in New York, LA, or anywhere else have a small theater? We is anyone use? selling a small theater? That's the question. That's the question. Because we may buy it. We would love to buy it. All right. This question comes from Sensei Seth. Um, I wonder if Seth is actually a sensei. All right. What's typical compensation for a management company to take? It's about that time where I look to expand and have been sent some possible contracts from managers or management companies. Is there an industry standard for creators to be paying of their total income? Are people basing it off of gross income or just management acquired income? Would love to hear your experience. First and foremost, a manager is different from an agent. I just want to make that clear. And I'll explain the difference between those two. When it comes to a manager, what a manager does is essentially look at your business holistically. A lot of managers these days are helping creators build businesses and they're coming in and, and you know, really operating as the like COO of the creator company, um, but then doing that across multiple creators. So we're seeing managers like Reed, uh, who's Mr. Beast manager, who's like really helped him launch Feastables, Mr. Beast Burger, all these other projects, as well as deal with his brand deal business. So it's really looking at every part of the creator's business, helping them hire, like really operating as this like internal manager for the creator. So because of that, a lot of managers take 15% of your gross income as a creator because they feel they are a part of everything that you're doing. And, and a lot of that is true. That does happen. We are actually going to have a manager on this show, not just Reed. We're also going to have um, Kai Gioso, who is Victoria Paris's manager and uh, Brooklyn Beckham's manager. We're going to have him on the show to, to talk about management. So if you guys have more questions about managers specifically, put them on the Reddit because we, we will ask a manager those questions. But managers take a percentage off of gross income, and typically it is 15%. Now, that, you know, obviously in the beginning, it feels like totally digestible as a creator. The challenge is like, you know, that manager, as they start to work across multiple creators, as each of those creators is making a million bucks, like they're starting to pull a lot of revenue from your top line. And you just have to make a decision on if you, if you need those services, if you want to hire those services in house, or if you want something where you can handle a lot of the back end and you just need someone to bring you deals. Yeah, because managers seem like they work best when you're more of a talent business and you are not running a media company. Media companies hire editors, camera mm -hmm. people, writers, right? Like they, they, yeah. they have all of this overhead. Whereas mm -hmm. someone who's just a talent business. Yeah, like Logan Paul has manager Jeff who's been working with him since the beginning. Because um, Logan probably doesn't have a ton of employees yeah. and show up to an office every day. No, yeah, he doesn't. So it's it's helpful to have a manager when you want to operate a little bit more without a, like a full staff. And that's 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 honestly the opinion. If you do have a full company, I think agents are really helpful because they help acquire deals, broker deals. They typically take less. 10% is more typical for an agent. You just have an agent and a lawyer. You're able to actually put together these deals if you feel comfortable just like passing them along and you know, working out, um, you know, some of the high level stuff with them and not needing a manager, I think that that can really work for you. So I, I agree. I think it depends on if you want to build a company, then 15% of your gross income is really hard to give away. But if you're just 
a singular talent. Like if, if it was just you and I, if we were truly building stuff without the, the full staff we have, we might go in this direction where we have yeah. a manager and an agent. And we would want to choose someone who we first get to work with on a project basis. Yes. Uh, uh, over a long period of time, probably. Agreed. Over at least a yeah. year or two. Agreed. So I, I think if you are going to try and sign a contract with a management company, maybe try and sign it on a shorter term basis or say, hey, I'm not comfortable signing yet. Let's work together. Like I'll give you a percentage of whatever deals we broker together and then let's explore a contract. Because something to think about is your manager is probably placing bets on a lot of different creators. That's right. But you're the only one placing a bet on that manager. Yes. Like you're only placing a bet on a single manager. So you want to evaluate that. Yeah. Very intensely. Because the manager really only needs one creator to, to pop to make their money. Yeah. So yeah, that's it's an important thing to, to recognize. I would say there are a lot of management companies that you can work with on a just deal-to-deal basis. Start there and just really start to evaluate your business and don't get locked into anything too significantly to start. Samir, can I request some creator support? Yeah. So here's the thing. I leased a car. It's the second time I've leased a car and my my lease is up. I got to bring the car back on Saturday. Okay. Do I buy a car? Do I lease another car? Do I get an electric car? They're so expensive. Let me give you my honest opinion on cars. I always lease cars because I think they're depreciating assets. So I don't want to own it. You don't want to own a car that's giving you problems. Exactly. It's, well, it's also getting less and less. It, it's valuable. getting less and less valuable, right? So it's like, but here's the thing. Yeah. Lease a car for three years, depending on what your payments are. Let's say after three years, it's going to cost you 15 grand over the course of those three years. Buy a car that is worth maybe 20 grand. Mm-hmm. In three years after the payments, you'll pretty much pay off that car that cost you 20 grand. What car costs you 20 grand? I was looking at a 19. No, I, was, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, so, I mean, I was looking at a 2018. Okay. Volkswagen. Okay. Sport wagon, it's called. Okay. Yeah. It's a cool car. Get that like car. $21,000. But do Why don't you I, just use the company car? What's the problem with the company car? The company car? car is from 1992 and one of the windows <laughs> doesn't go up and I know it's going to give me problems. But this is just, maybe this is a question you can't answer, but I just, uh, this, is, this is up to you. I now. would like everyone out there to help me. Yeah. Someone help Colin with this. Do you problem. buy a car? Do you lease a car? What are you supposed to do? I All right. Know. This question comes from Alex, Alex pronounced Alex. Yes. Okay. Spelled not like that, but per, they specified pronounced Alex spelled A L L I K K X. Alex. All right. In your episode about Emma Chamberlain and Casey Neistat, you guys talked about idea-based creators, and relationship-based creators. With Ryan Trahan doing his 30-day challenge that seemed right exactly down the middle of those two creator types, is there something creators can learn about mixing the two creator types in this way? I'm a photographer that does mostly POV street photography videos, but would also like to try other things. I would like to vlog and be a relationship-based creator, but I know that might not suit my personality. Is finding a balance between an idea-based creator and a relationship-based creator, the best way to approach this? This is a great question. So first, let's define the two terms. An idea-based creator is a creator like Mr. Beast, maybe. Someone who, uh, you know, the, the emphasis is on the idea, meaning you would watch multiple different creators do this exact same idea. Buried alive for 24 hours doesn't necessarily matter who's being buried alive. That's an interesting concept. It's an interesting idea. 
and you'll click on that thumbnail to watch it. I also, I do want to specify though, Jimmy's going to make that video more interesting than other of course. people. He's yeah. the best of the best. He's the best of the best. When it comes but, to idea-based creators. But if like, there's, if there's he's the gold standard. Yeah. If there's 10 videos that are, you know, similar, then, you know, you, you just want to watch whatever one has the best idea, best thumbnail. Yeah. A relationship-based creator is a creator who can upload almost anything and you'll watch because of the relationship you have with that creator. So Emma Chamberlain is a great example of this. She uploaded a video a couple months ago, just that was her at a stove looking at the camera and it said, you totally caught me making soup. That was the title. You that totally title. caught me making soup. <laughs> yeah, which is wild that over 5 million people will watch that, but it's because over 5 million people have developed a relationship with Emma that whatever she uploads, they're interested in. So I fully agree that Ryan Trahan's series was right down the middle of these two. Yeah. So Ryan Trahan's series was, he spent uh, a month living on a penny uh, and using that penny to travel across the United States to deliver it to Mr. Beast. So that idea already just, you know, number one, that is an idea-based series. Like that is a great concept. I would watch a lot of people do that. What made the Penny series so special was Ryan. And what Ryan did really well to fall into this kind of quote-unquote idea-based style was he pre-made all of his thumbnails or at least a lot of his thumbnails. So he still had really good ideas for each upload that could be titled and, and thumbnailed really well, but then it was his personality that colored in those lines. So I would say if the idea is like the framework, you know, or the canvas, the personality is the painting. That was beautiful, Samir. It's the jet lag. <laughs> it's the jet lag speaking. It's not me. Wow. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like that, that's what he did really well. There was a, there was a framework and a canvas. That I was, don't know what you mean. Cause my head is in the clouds. That was ready that. to be that painted. Was amazing. Yeah. I would say that if you don't know what type of creator you are, if you don't know if, whether you're an idea based or relationship based, think about yourself as a community based creator, which I would consider Samir and I to be. And what we've always been when we first started out, we made videos for the lacrosse community. Now in this iteration, we're making videos for the creator community and we're trying to come up with the best ideas and build a relationship with that community. So sometimes it's easier to just take a step back, think about who you're speaking to, what you want to make them feel and have that sort of define what you're doing as a creator. And then the ideas and the relationship that you build will come off that. Agree with that. All right. Let me end with a lesson I learned from making croissants. Okay. So in the first week in Paris, I took a croissant making class. And it was in this like really cool boutique bakery. It was like a three hour experience and each person paid $200 and there was 10 people in the class and they did three of these per day. So I found that, and we made four croissants each. So every day they're generating, you know, somewhere between six and $10,000 a day on teaching how to make croissants. And each of us made four croissants the next day, I went to a bakery and bought a croissant. It was one euro. So when you take a step back and recognize the amount of money that someone will pay for education and experience versus the actual product itself is really fascinating. Like this was a baker. She was a fantastic teacher, but she said that she had a hard time making a living as a baker. But once she started teaching people how to bake, she's able to make a living. I just think that's a really interesting lesson. I wrote it down in the first week, uh, just the difference between making croissants and teaching someone how to make a croissant. 
If you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. If you teach a man to fish, you feed him for a lifetime. It's not the same thing. It's kind of it's somewhat not the related same thing. though, because you just wanted, you've you been could, wanting to say that. You could buy a croissant every day <laughs> yeah. and go broke, or you could pay one time to learn how to make croissants. But I'm probably never going to make a croissant. Yeah, yeah. I'm but you know what make I mean? If you but had to live off the experience was, was, was so interesting. If you substitute fish with a croissant, you know what I mean. But yeah, you're right. Education wins. Education wins. Yes. It's just food for thought. <laughs> All right. That was nice. All right. Well, we are officially back. Uh, we'll be doing these creator support episodes every single week. Next week, we'll be back uh, answering your questions. We'll also have just come right off of hanging out with Rhett and Link. And like I mentioned, next week, we're also interviewing Kai Gioso, who's a manager in the creator space. So if you have questions for managers, any questions around management, submit those on the Reddit. Join the Reddit if you haven't already. And we will see you next week. See you. See you.